We are in the book of Romans. If you want to open up to Romans chapter 5, that's where we are this morning. Uh, we are going through the book of Romans. We're taking 11 weeks to go through it, uh, and this is the fourth week in our series. Uh, one of the things that we're encouraging you to do if you're newer to River Ridge uh, or you haven't been here the last few weeks is to read the book of Romans on your own. And so as you leave, you can grab a, on the silver tables out there, there's a Romans reading guide. If you're watching online, go to riverridge.church and then go to um, uh, Next Steps and then read the Bible and you can find it there. But I encourage you to read along. You'll get a lot more out of it than just listening to me uh, on a Sunday morning. So that's where we're going this morning in Romans chapter 5. So let's uh, pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning, um, the opportunity to be in your presence. And God, I know, I believe that you have things that you want to teach us this morning. Uh, and so I pray that you would help us to block out those distractions, block out those other things that are going on, that we might listen to your voice this morning. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a question, and uh, I'm going to make this a, a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer, but as you think about buying a car, when it comes to buying a car, what do you look for in a car? Do you look for kind of functionality, kind of the basics get you from A to B place, or when you look for a car, are you looking for kind of the extras, the bells and whistles types of things? Which type of person are you? Just basic functionality, or I'm looking for extras? You know, because when we look for a car, there's definitely an aspect of functionality. I need the car to get me safely from point A to point B. And there's six of us, so I need a minivan and a sports car won't do. Or maybe you drive a lot, and you're like, I need something that has really good gas mileage because I just drive all over the state of West Virginia or all over the eastern seaboard or drive my kids everywhere. Or maybe you, are, you use your truck for your job. You're like, I need a truck that can haul stuff, that can pull a boat, that can pull a trailer, that can put on my tools. And so you think in terms of that type of functionality. So is that you? Are you kind of a, I want functionality with the car that I buy? Or are you more of a person who's looking for extras? Maybe you're like, I really want to get a hybrid car, or I really want to get leather seats, or I want to get heated seats, or I've heard recently that now you can get seats that cool you down when you use them. Like, that sounds pretty cool. You're like, I want that kind of extra. Or maybe you're like, I want a minivan, but the minivan, it's got to have a DVD player flip down screen because I'm driving kids all over the place all the time. Or maybe you're like, I want something that like, has extra, extra, extra safety measures in it. Like it tells me like, when somebody is too close and it beeps and adaptive cruise control and, and those types of extras. I was shopping uh, with my son Ben for a car. He'd saved up a bunch of money and so we went shopping. And the first question he asked the car dealer was like, well, does it have Bluetooth? I'm like, okay, okay, that's what he wants. He wants Bluetooth. It's a little extra. Um, so I asked you that question, which are you? Now, the thing is, we can talk about functionality in cars versus extras, but the fact is, a car has to be functional, otherwise the extras don't really matter. Like, you can get all the cool stuff, but if you get a, uh, oh, if you get a two-seater and you have a family of six, well, all the extras in the world don't matter, right? Or you can have Bluetooth and a stereo system and all the, you know, cruise control stuff, but if the car doesn't start, well, none of that does you any good. So most of us realize it. We go, well, I, I want the functionality, but then maybe if I can get some extras as well, that would be great. You're like, wow, I heard a sermon about a car today. I'm so glad I came to church. Here's why I share this. 
In the book of Romans, the last two weeks, we have been talking about the functionality of the gospel. And I realize that's not necessarily a great term for it, but it's the term that I'm using. But it's, we've learned about the functionality of the gospel, the basic heart of what is the gospel. And the heart of the gospel, we talked about this in Romans 3, it's this idea where it says, no one is good, no, not one, none of us are righteous. So we talked for an entire Sunday about how all of us are deserving of God's wrath. But then last Sunday, we talked about the solution. And I read to you this verse from the book of Romans, chapter 3. It says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. That's the solution. That the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ is available to all of us who believe. And so we talked about this last week, that we give Jesus our sin, and then we get his righteousness. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees Christ's righteousness in us. That is the functionality, if you will, of the gospel. That is the heart of the gospel, that we can have salvation. We are justified, as it says here, by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Romans is up through chapter 4 and including most of chapter 4. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, we read these words. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, and then dot, 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 we'll finish it. And what's going to come after that is these extras that we have, these extra benefits or blessings because we've been justified with Christ. Now, I want you to notice something here. Uh, it says, therefore, since we have been justified. So the pronoun we, and if you're kind of following along in the book of Romans and reading it on your own, this is something that you may have known. But the pronouns in the book of Romans, they keep changing. So at the beginning, Paul was saying they, and then he switched to we, they switched to you, and now he's at we. And a little bit later, he's going to switch to I, but notice the pronouns when he goes through that, and just because they always have kind of a meaning or significance why I use it. But when he talks about they, he's talking about the Gentiles. When he talks about you, he's talking about the Jews. But now he uses the pronoun we. And I love that because he's saying that we all have been justified. We all are Christians. So there's no distinction. It's not the Jews Christians and the Gentile Christians. It's, it's we. We're in this together. And then he says, and those, says, therefore. And so if you've ever heard this from a pastor, from me, or from somebody else, whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask the question, what is it there for? Good job. All right. So, so we say, what is it there for? And so it says, since we've been justified by faith. Though that short phrase, five or six words long, is a summary of the entire previous four chapters of the book of Romans. Because we've been justified by faith, and then he says, we have. And so what he's going to do at this point, Paul is going to list in these next 10 verses or so, he's going to list seven benefits that somebody who has been justified by faith has. Seven benefits that come to a Christian. And interestingly enough, as you read these seven benefits, four of them are ones that we might call Christmas benefits, a la the shirt here, right? I know you were dying to know why I was wearing that shirt. 
But uh, he's going to talk about hope. He's going to talk about peace. He's going to talk about love. And he's going to talk about joy. And then he's going to also talk about three other ones that we will also mix in here a little bit. But these are the benefits of following Christ. So it begins with this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first benefit of being a Christian is peace with God. Peace with God. So if you're taking notes, you can write that on there. If you're watching online or even in person, you like doing electronic notes, uh, the Riverage app has these as the fill in the blanks. So the first benefit is that we have peace with God. Now, note that it says peace with God, not the peace of God. And there's a difference, and the peace of God is also a blessing and a benefit that we get as Christians. But here he's talking about the peace of God, which is different than the peace, um, sorry, about the peace with God, not the peace of God, and differentiating that in this way. To live at peace with God means this, means really two things. One is that we are no longer the objects of his wrath. And we talked about that for an entire Sunday, that we are objects of his wrath because of our sin. But when it says when we're justified, it means that we have peace with God, that God is not angry with you, that God is not upset with you, and we can live at peace with God. Now, here's the other part of that is that we don't have to live, because we've been justified through Christ, we don't have to live in fear of, am I good enough? Do I measure up enough to what God wants? Right? And and I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever taken a test? You take a test, and after the test, you're like, I just don't know how I did on that. Like, I may have gotten an A, but I may have gotten an F. Like, I'm, I just guessed on a couple things. And you have that sort of fear, like, ah, did I do well enough? Did I pass? Did I not pass? And you have that sort of fear, like, ah, I don't know. Because you've been justified by Christ, you don't have to live in that fear of, do I measure up to God? Am I going to pass the God test or not? You don't have to live in that fear because you have peace with God because you've been justified. That's the first benefit. Here's the second one. It comes from verse 2. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's the second benefit, is access to God. It says we have access to God. We have access to God's grace. And I think that access to God is, is one of those things that we maybe take for granted more than we should. I mean, I mean, think about this. You and I, you have access to the creator of the entire world. You have access to the God of the universe, right? I mean, does anybody in here have access to Joe Biden? Like, is he on anybody's cell phone? No, no. Anybody have access to Jim Justice? Probably somebody in here has his cell phone number, maybe, right? Anybody have access to Neil Brown? He probably changed his number, right? <laughs> Anybody have access to Bob Huggins? That'd be kind of fun. Like, is he on your cell? Like, maybe a couple, but like, we have access barely to some of those people, maybe. But we have access to the God of the universe. 
And the thing is, the God of the universe not only kind of gives us an all-access pass, you know, you get a backstage pass, you can go wherever the band goes and all that kind of thing at a concert venue that you pay for or whatever. Like, not only does he give you an all-access pass, but he invites you to come to him. He says, bring me your fears. Bring me your doubts. When you're in pain, when you're sorrowful, when life is difficult, I want you to come to me and I will comfort you that we have all access to God. The next benefit comes from this same verse. Let me read it to you again. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The next benefit is that we walk in hope. We walk in hope. And, and the idea of hope is, is different in a Christian context than kind of the way the rest of the world uses it. But hope is not wishful thinking like, I hope this happens. I hope I don't get caught speeding. I hope I get into this school. I hope, I hope, I hope. It's not wishful thinking. Hope is the confident assurance that God will do what he says he's going to do. The confident assurance that God is who he says he is. And that we get to walk in that hope, in that confident assurance of who God is. We'll talk a little bit more about hope uh, as it comes up in a moment, so we'll leave it there for now. Then we continue on, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, with the next benefit. It says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Just to be super clear, one of the benefits of being a Christian is not you escape suffering. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean, oh, I'm exempt from all suffering because I received Christ. It doesn't work like that. You are not exempt from suffering. However, because you are a Christian, because you've been justified by Christ, that we have purpose in our suffering. That's the next benefit that we have purpose in our suffering. Now, when we talk about having purpose in our suffering, and we're talking about suffering, we're not talking about like, hey, yeah, I get to rejoice in my suffering. I'm a masochist. No, it's the rejoicing is because that suffering leads to something else. And so he gives us this four kind of fold or three transitions that suffering leads to patience, and patience leads to character, and character leads to hope, okay? And so I'm going to write this down for you here, and my handwriting is terrible, but it's kind of fun at the same time, all right? So, uh, so we've got suffering. Wow, that's a really big pen that somebody gave me. I'm so thankful for that. All right. I'm not a good speller either, and I get stage fright when I spell. Is that right? Yeah. You sure there's not two R's? Does anybody know why there's not two R's? What's the grammatical thing? I don't know either. Okay. So suffering then leads to patience. All right? Okay. And by the way, if you're sitting over here, I'm sorry that you can't see this, but I had the demonstration on this side last week, and so I'm giving love over here to this because you guys couldn't see the demonstration. So I'm equal opportunity, okay? Um, patience, right? And then patience leads to character.
Okay? And then character leads to what? Anybody know? Hope. Good. Okay? And character leads to hope. Now, if we look at this, when we cooperate with God, this is how it works. Okay? Suffering doesn't produce hope automatically. There's a cooperation that we go through with God to get from suffering to hope. Okay? So let me give you an example. Uh, Let's take the example of COVID. Okay? COVID-19. All of us in this room and watching online have suffered because of COVID in some form or fashion. It could have been you got COVID, you were quarantined, somebody was sick, you lost a job, you know, people, you know, there's just all, everybody has suffered in some way because of COVID. So that's our suffering. And so what that does is that leads to patience. Leads to patience because we don't know when COVID is going to be totally done, if it's ever going to be totally done. It leads to patience in terms of people, like people have been difficult during COVID. And it's like, you got some crazy folks out there doing some crazy things. And so you've got to have patience towards them right? And then when you have patience, what that does is that builds your character, right? You go, wow, I realize that I need to be the person that God wants me to be. And so Christ is formed in us as a result of having patience over time. And then when Christ is formed in us, that leads to hope, the confident assurance that God will do what he says he will do because our character is now molded to become more like Christ. And when we're more like Christ, we do and understand and look to God as our hope more. Do you guys see how that kind of fits there? Okay. Now, I share in this way, and the, the visual, and I realize that my handwriting is terrible and all that, but here's what I wanted you to see, is that it's a process that we go through, but we have to cooperate with God in this. So suffering, when we cooperate, leads to patience. But you know what it could lead to if we're like, you know what? I'm not patient. And instead, it leads to blame, right? We suffer. And instead of leading to patience, we go, God, why did you do this to me? It's your fault. And we put blame on God, and it doesn't lead to patience. Or maybe we suffer. It leads to patience. And we just get so angry with other people that instead of leading to character, it leads to bitterness, okay? And so, what letter is that? That's an R. Um, it, leads to, it leads to bitterness, right? Because instead of it, the patience building our character, we just kind of get bitter towards people and God and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe we walk this, it goes suffering, leads to patience, leads to character, But then instead of character leading to hope, we're like, man, I have so much patience. And so it leads to pride instead. Like, man, look how much patience I have. I'm awesome. Instead of leading to hope. Now, I share this with you because suffering is something that all of us are going to face. It's true. And you may be going through suffering right now. Could be relationally with somebody. Could be at work. Could be a financial thing. Could be kind of an emotional health thing for yourself. I mean, there's all kinds of suffering that we go 
through. But the question is, are you going to work these steps and cooperate with God and say, how is this suffering going to help me to be patient? And how is my patience going to build my character? And how can God use my character to build hope in my life? And then it says, and right after that it says, and then it says, and hope does not disappoint. And that's where we want to be as we move through this. So then we pick up in verse 5, and it says this. It says, and hope does not put us to shame, or other translations said, and hope does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay? So here's the next thing, the next benefit of being a Christian, and it's this. It's that we are loved by God. We are loved by God. Now, I want to read to you um, the next four verses to help us to understand the type of love that God has for you and for me. And as I do this, and if you have a paper Bible and you're comfortable doing this, uh, is I want you to underline a few words as we go through here, because I'm going to highlight a couple of words, four words in here. It says this, verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So in that verse, I want you to underline the word weak and underline the word ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, underline the word sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, underline the word enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. I want you to underline those four words because those four words are a description of you. Those four words are a description of us. That we are weak, that we are ungodly, that we are sinners, and that we are enemies of God. But yet in that, even though all those things are true of us, God still loves us. God still loves you. Because of this. And here's what we need to understand about God's love. And this is where we kind of get it turned around because we don't really experience this in any human-to-human relationships. But it's this, is God's love for you comes from his character, not your actions. God's love for you, he loves you because of his nature, because of his character, because of who he is and his person, his essence and his being. That is why he loves you. He does not love you because of what you do or what you don't do. And I want you to understand that as a benefit of being a follower of Jesus, because there's going to be times when you are weak that you fall to temptation. And there's going to be some times when you do something that is ungodly. And there's going to be some times when you sin. And there's going to be some times that you do something that makes you look more like an enemy of God than a friend of Jesus. And when those occur, I want you to understand 
that God's love for you doesn't come because of your actions. It's not dependent on your actions. It comes from His nature. That's a great benefit of being a Christian. Here's the sixth one. It also comes from verse 5. I'm going to skip back. It says, Because God has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The sixth benefit is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've been reading through the book of Romans, you may have noticed this. Uh, that This is the first time that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Romans. Uh, and then from here forward in the book of Romans, it will continue, the Holy Spirit, he will be, continue to be mentioned in various ways. Um, we did a whole sermon series on it back over, uh, I believe it was in the spring, about the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here other than to say the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you to counsel you, to comfort you, but also to give you prompts about how to live life. And I would encourage you, keep on listening to the prompts of the Holy Spirit and then act on them. And then here's the last benefit. comes from verse 11. It says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've talked about this in the past, but there's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. Things are good, and I'm happy. Things are bad, and I'm not so happy. Things get good again, and I'm happy. Things get really good, I'm really, really happy. Happiness follows our circumstances, but joy doesn't have to follow our circumstances. And so the benefit of being a Christian is joy in all things. That we can have joy in all things because what gives us joy in life are the things that never change about who God is and what God says. Gives us three in here that never change in verse 11. It says, we rejoice in God. Does God ever become not God? No, God is always God. And then it says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does Jesus Christ ever become not our Savior? No, that never changes. And then it says, and we've received reconciliation. Do we ever become unreconciled to God? No, our salvation is secure. And so I mention those things, God, Jesus Christ, and our reconciliation with God, because those things never change. And so because they never change, we can always have joy when those things, not our circumstances, are the foundation of our lives and of our joy. So I mentioned a couple minutes ago that this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. I want to point out to you also something here, and we're going to kind of conclude with this and kind of a challenge in this as well. There's also something else that's introduced here, which I'd never, never seen before and just realized by kind of reading this a number of different times. But this is the first time that Jesus Christ is called Lord, basically. So in the introduction, there's some introductory stuff about Jesus being Lord. And then at the very end of chapter 4, as it begins to give us what, we're, what we just read in chapter 5, it talks about Jesus as Lord. But twice in this passage, it talks about Jesus being Lord. Verse 1, it says, um, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then also in verse 11, 
we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why that's significant, okay? That in chapter 2, 3, and 4, it's talking about Jesus being our Savior, okay? But when we talk about these benefits, that Jesus is Lord, these benefits, I'll point to this thing, but the benefits that you have written down there, these benefits only come to us, or we only live in them, might be a better way to put it, is when Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, when he is the leader of our lives. Now, the, the seven things that you wrote down, some of them are true, whether he is the Lord and leader of your life or not. But it's a question of, do we walk in them? Because when we walk in them, in other words, when he is Lord of our lives, then we live these things. But these seven things are not all guarantees to live in them and to experience them. They come when we make him Lord of our lives. When we lay our lives down and say, I'm going to follow what you want. That when we do that, we feel God's peace. God is always at peace with you, but we feel his peace when we walk with him. That we can take advantage of access to him that we have. When he's the leader of our lives, then we'll take advantage of that access that we have to him. That we can live in hope. We don't just live in hope when we go about living. We live in hope when we are following the leadership of him in our lives. We find purpose and we grow through our sufferings. We talked about this. Suffering just doesn't automatically lead to hope. It's when we let him lead our lives that it does. We, God loves you at all times, but it's, we feel God's love when we're following after him. We can live a life. You always have the Holy Spirit, but we can live a life led by the Holy Spirit when we're following after and allowing him to be Lord and leader of our lives. And last, we can experience joy in life no matter what our circumstances are when we have Jesus as the Lord and leader of our lives. And I just want to point that out to you because these benefits are phenomenal benefits. And you may look at that list on your paper and say, this, I really want to live and experience this benefit. But each of those benefits comes when we submit our lives to him. And so I just leave you with this challenge of, are you submitting your life to Jesus? Because if you are submitting your life to Jesus, then you have these benefits. But if you're like, I don't really feel like I'm experiencing that, it's because you're not submitting your life to the lordship of who Jesus is and the leader of your life.